0: Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this!
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast, the Fight Sight Podcast Network. Myself, your host, Silas Martin. And today we're back with my regular co-pilot. It's good to have you back, Christian. Ed and Tooman just interrupted me a bunch. And today we're looking at uh, some fights. Uh, We're not going to go too much into this weekend's UFC card because there's not a whole bunch going on. And, uh, you know, the fights that we did cover from UFC 277 last week turned out to be basically the fights that are worth uh, actually going back to. So we're going to start with UFC 277 main card. Uh, Amanda Nunes retakes uh, a Bantamweight Championship against Juliana Pena by unanimous decision. Like I think there was a couple of 50-43s in there. Easy dominant win for Amanda Nunes, in a way that does make you think that maybe there was something going on in the first fight. You know, I really, when I'm trying to understand fights, I really try to avoid any kind of like X factor analysis of oh, did they have a bad camp, was it injury, not motivated, didn't take the opponent seriously. You know, I I, I try to just understand fights based on. What happened in the fight, and as much as it was like strange and just, um, just an, a, one of the most catastrophic shittings of the bed to ever happen at the championship level of MMA, the first fight was an incredibly Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena fight. It is one of the ways that that fight can go, and to the point that it had a lot of us convinced that that was just the dynamic and the. Uh, Nunez was just like doomed to have the exact same fight. Um, And while you could look at this fight and say, well, maybe Nunez just needed to know that she could lose that way the first time to come in with the adjustments she made in this fight. This fight was also an incredibly Amanda Nunez versus Juliana Pena fight. It's just the other way that it goes, which is, you know, um, it's how Amanda Nunez fights over five rounds if she doesn't finish someone early. It's just counter and top control um that's pretty much it
0: yeah i want to start off by asking you how did you score the fight
1: um i, I was not like watching the rounds that intently it was just very clear that amanda Nunes was winning easily the whole time so when i heard a 50 43 at the end and you know pena had been dropped multiple times at the beginning of the fight and not really gotten anything done on the ground over the course of the entire fight i was like yeah 50 43 sounds okay
0: yeah i had it 50 36 (laughs) I, I don't think there's much of an argument against that. I think you could go a little bit lower, but you can't go any higher. I think it's just kind of pandering to the standard scoring criteria to be like, oh, you can't go lower than a 10-8. Like, yeah, you can. In one round, she got three knockdowns. And then in another round, Pena didn't land a punch, I don't think. And, like, attempted some arm bars that weren't even close. So it's was, it was, like, a little embarrassing. Uh, uh, by the judges I think to not score it even more heavily in favor of Nunez Uh, I thought it was a bad performance by Nunez honestly Uh, if you're getting three knockdowns in an early round then not getting the finish it shows a failure of pacing I, I tend to believe she had it in her to get a finish without gassing but she just couldn't really sustain it enough
1: yeah I think MMA fighters are much more of the mindset that if they like bank solid rounds with early knockdowns, then they can just coast for the rest of the fight. Uh,
0: I think going southpaw was a very, like the, the most standard MMA meta way to navigate the matchup. And it worked, but it didn't work in the way that I think she intended to, because Penny was still finding good shots on Nunez's chin in the early rounds. Just because Nunez isn't good defensively from that position. And really her only offense from there was a right hook or a left kick. And the left kick wasn't prevalent enough. And the right hook was inaccurate mostly. Uh, Most of the connections were Pena ducking real low and then getting like hit behind the ear. Or like almost in the back of the head. And you know, those are going to knock you down. Like I was was impressed by uh, Pena's ability to take a shot, I guess. But that's not something you want to be impressed by someone for. In a in a championship fight
1: nobody can knock out juliana Pena it's weird but but neither at that level you probably should be like uh, showing more and you know it's just sort of saying before we start recording it, it's kind of disappointing that Nunez just you know got this back easily kind of the way you would have expected her to win all along because uh, there was this sense that the division had just been Totally bust wide open by just a weird style matchup thing that had happened. Ooh, that being said, we'd still have um, Carla Esparza champion, so so that's cool. Um, then anyway, there, N- Nunes is back, and uh, she probably keep uh, winning fights like this pretty easily for a while until she retires, which could be not that far off.
0: Yeah, I think all there is for Nunez at this point is the well, one win the trilogy because now it's one-one and uh, Penny has a finish, so I have to beat that drum to be uh, consistent with my my picks for the next uh, fighter we're going to talk about and in his future matchmaking. I think if it's tied, you got to have it be a, a trilogy if uh, one person has a finish over the other one. So. But, but uh, like, I don't know. I, I don't really think Pena has anything she can do aside from maybe fight Jermaine me now. Either, I, I mean, Nunez is probably going to have to defend the belt at 145, so they might give her, like, normal
1: Dumont. Yeah, and Pena already got absolutely mopped and then submitted by Durain, Jermaine Durandamy. Yeah, that's, I, that's the only say, reason
0: I even want to see the matchup.
1: I, th- I think the more embarrassing thing uh, was not that Nunez didn't get the... The knockout after those knockdowns, it's that she was in dominant positions on the ground for so long and didn't get a submission where Jermaine Durandamine did. Weird. N- Nunez can do the submission.
0: Yeah, Nunez is uh I have to preface this by saying she's not a bad fighter at all. But skill set wise skill set wise, she is the most dramatically overrated fighter from like the commentary team at least like joe rogan acts as if she's this like magnificent skilled technician that just so happens to hit really hard no she like that's not what fighting's about you can be not very skilled in a incredibly dangerous fighter that has like a, a lane that she sticks to that gives her a lot of success which is just power punching and finding decent Shots like you—you could tell she trains at ATT because every fight she comes in with like three pretty good ideas tactically, and all of her performances that are failing, she either gets beaten up for things that ATT can't really teach out of you, like being like able to capitulate if you're getting beaten up really badly, or gassing, which they—they can do their best, but she just can't pace herself. Whenever she really starts fucking someone up, she either gets the finish or she'll get a knockdown and just be like, "Be like, cool, I won the round." I think her style is one that matured into a championships style okay, but it's not her A-game, and it's not even close to replicable over the next like six or seven fights if she fights progressively better competition. But that's just not that likely, so she might get another like four or five title defenses then retire.
1: Uh, but then the other rematch in the co-main event, uh, Brandon Moreno versus Carcara France, I thought this was a damn good fight and I was just uh, disappointed that it ended as early as it did. Uh, much as it was a cool finish, a uh, Karkara France versus Brandon Moreno. Um, I talked last week about how Karkara France had good counter-punching success throughout their first fight but wasn't able to sustain it into um, just two consistent winning rounds over the fight because moreno just committed himself to like constantly pressuring and extending exchanges and like hitting the body a good bit um and i thought kai France came in with a couple of really nice ideas um about how to adjust to that and about how to maintain his counterpunching success a little bit more like uh, he was just much more aware of um having built in defensive maneuvers after he landed his counter right hand and just like like pivoting off and being in good positions and not letting uh Moreno just keep throwing wh- whenever he got tagged and um what's cool is he had a really good idea for uh like trying to take away Moreno's uh, left kick which is um A weapon that he kind of abandoned for a while that we've been saying that he really needs to bring back because it's just something that fits into his game really well and it's a strike he throws pretty well. And it was a big part of what won him the first fight against Kaikara France was just throwing a ton of left kicks at Kaikara France's arms. That's just classic shit. If you don't want a guy... If you're worried about a guy throwing his right hand, just fucking kick it. Um... But then Carcara France came in with this like dope little like foot sweep he was doing, where he'd kick out the standing leg and like got it off a couple times and actually got some top control off of it, and clearly had Brandon Moreno thinking about that strike. Uh, but then his adjustment was to just like was just like throw it at the liver, because uh, Carcara France was, uh, he, you know he was mostly just relying on being able to time kicking out the standing leg. There wasn't like an extra move to actually deal with the kick first. So it was like, I can just throw a body kick quick and I can throw a high kick, so I'll just do that. And he just blasted him with a left lever kick and and, uh, got the finish. It was
0: pretty cool. Yeah, I thought Moreno fought like a five-round fighter against a guy he knew was going to gas and is a power threat. I, I saw people criticizing Moreno for not kind of trying to bulldoze him from the beginning, which he may be able to, but... It's such a consistent winning strategy from Reno to just wait on Car France to slow down and then try and take him out in rounds 3, 4, and 5. And then he just so happened to get the shot.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even, even in that first fight, he was really taking over towards the end of that fight to where he maybe even could have got a finish over 5. So um, while he like knew what he needed to do to just go in and fuck Carcara France up, there was no real reason for him to press it like from the, from the opening bell.
0: Yeah, I think it was just smart, like pacing himself, not not even having to pace himself, just not rushing and not trying to hunt for the finish against a guy that's pretty durable. And if he doesn't get a finish in the first round, he's probably not going to be very dangerous for the rest of the fight. And Moreno knows he can take a shot. So just kind of be calm. Don't put yourself in too bad of positions. Kick the arms a bunch, like it was a lot of nice anti-power puncher tactics by Moreno throughout the fight. Also, do you think he should fight Figueroa next? I think there's really no argument against it.
1: <sighs> I mean, you got to do it just because this whole interim title situation, and uh, so so they're they're obviously going to do that, and they, you know they like Moreno, and you know they want to push that whole market and whatnot. Um, and I guess you're you're gonna say you got to do it because they are technically tied, and Moreno is the one who has the finish, and that's cool. But um, I would rather see either of them fight Alessandro Pantoja again at this point, to be honest.
0: Yeah, Pantoja, I think deserves a title shot, uh, but it, as long as he gets the fight right after, uh, I I would I don't mind it. You know, I don't like,
1: mind. It. I don't mind it. Like he I just like, fought on the I've same card like, that I've Rado fought. I've liked all of the, their fights. I wasn't uh, nearly as down on the third fight as a lot of people were. Um, and I think a fourth fight would still be good. And I'm sure, like you know, e- every fight reveals new layers about the dynamic that those two have. It is a great matchup.
0: Um, it's a very unique fight to have a fourth fight.
1: So I, I can see the case for it, and I'd be cool with it. I uh, just want to see uh, want see the pants in the title mix. I think he's really earned it, but we'll uh, talk about him soon. Um, but first, uh, Derek Lewis got instantly destroyed by Sergei Pavlovich. I don't think Derek Lewis has got it anymore, man.
0: Yeah, now that his chin isn't really where it once was, his entire skill set is falling apart, and I use the term skill set. Kind of lightly because the meme of Derek Lewis is that he's not very skilled. It's that he's he's just like very powerful, fast and durable and then has some good ideas and approaches to winning fights sometimes like the Dawkins fight where he actually pressured him and, and like cut off the cage. But yeah, I don't think Lewis has the chin to be taking out people that can counterpunch at all anymore.
1: Well, and to just be hanging in these fights where he has to let guys destroy themselves in the process of trying to destroy him, you just you can't sustain that forever, and it's given him pretty remarkable longevity up to this point.
0: Yeah, I think if this, I think if they made Volkov versus Lewis, now Lewis would just get finished in the first round. I think basically anyone that he has fought who has he has beaten up by waiting for them to get done beating him up, he would now win easily against, or lose easily against.
1: Yeah, this was kind of what I compared this to. I was just like, I think Pavlovich can have a, a just like sloppier version of the Volkov performance, but actually just finished Eric Lewis this time, and then it just happened instantly.
0: Derek Lewis is very susceptible to being front-runnered. If someone just is willing to go in and try and fuck him up really badly early, there's a good chance it's going to work if you have the power to back it up.
1: Yeah, I mean he, he, even when he was still making it work uh, he he kind of just got instantly annihilated by uh, uh, I, mean, I mean was that Junior Dos Santos' last win in MMA? I think it probably was. Mark Hunt also I mean, Mark Hunt, like, picked him apart over five rounds, though. Like, wore him down and got, got an attritional finish. So, yeah, I don't know where Derek Lewis goes from here. But Sergei Pavlovich, uh, I think, is, is cool cool to have a round at heavyweight. Yeah, and then the aforementioned Alexandre Pantoja uh, took out Alex Perez in the first round by rear naked choke submission. Uh, to the surprise my, of nobody? Well, apart from... my one fucking loser who was on this podcast last week. Yeah, my uh, tendency to pick wacky guys who get finishes prevailed over Ed's tendency to pick short guys who wrestle.
0: Yeah, what really lost for Alex Perez is being not that good and having troubles making the weight, so he's always weight-drained even at a weight he's small for. Like, Pantoja's
1: large. Yeah, and Pantoja he's he's also just he's also just dangerous and came out like a fucking lunatic. And, and um,
0: got on the back and immediately
1: submitted him. Yeah. I don't know how much more there is to say about that. Uh, pants is a fucking crazy scrambler and if you give him any opportunity to get on your back, it's gonna be a rough night. I I I love the pants. He's always tons of fun. He's just super violent. He's an absolute madman. Um, like I said, I I would love to see him fight Davison Figueroa again for the title. Um or, or indeed Brandon Moreno for the interim title. I don't know what whatever.
0: I, I also thought it was a smart approach by Pantoja to just like sprint at the guy who hasn't fought since twenty twenty. Yeah. And the guy's had like six cancelled bouts. So he's just diminished himself by going through camp after camp, and then well, and the guy who gets it in, beaten in a minute.
1: Yeah, well, and, and the guy who uh, in his two losses uh, got submitted in a weird way in a transition that he just like really wasn't expecting, and um, in the Joe Benavidez fight, just like got bullied by someone who he couldn't hang in exchanges with.
0: Yeah, and if you look even so, farther back into his career, he got armbarred in the first round and prayer choked. He did? He got prayer choked. What is that? I don't know. He also got guillotine choked in 40 seconds in his fourth fight. So he, he's just a slow starter.
1: Yeah. This this is just apparently a thing that can happen to Alex Perez. And, you know, it is uh, pretty rough coming off of a two-year layoff and all of these problems just getting to a fight in the first place. I don't know. Give him a fight with someone who isn't Alessandro Pantoja. There's still plenty of good fights for him in this division.
0: They could make the match shell fight, which got cancelled three times.
1: They could try, but I think uh, at this point they're just like giving up on those matchups when they just can't come together. Um, Anthony Smith's foot fell off against Magomed Ankalaev, and he got finished.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was about what you would expect from the matchup.
1: I don't know why I didn't predict exactly that to happen. It makes so much sense when I think about it.
0: Ankaliev is positionally responsible most of the time, and he got submitted once by Paul Craig, which, you know, Anthony Smith is good at jiu-jitsu, genuinely, but he's not Paul Craig.
1: He might have a good triangle, but
0: yeah. Not a specialist like Paul Craig. Like Paul Craig will triangle you if you like are fucking around. Anthony Smith isn't that type of guy that's going to triangle you. He's just got a good triangle. And he didn't really get in positions where he could try it against Ankoliyev.
1: Well, you know, maybe if he hadn't fucked up his foot and he'd had a little more time, you know, to, to Paul yeah. Craig, took Paul Craig 14 minutes and 59 seconds to find the triangle.
0: I mean, that's all he needs, though. I think the real matchup we need to make now is Anthony Smith versus Paul Craig. It's needed yeah. to happen for a while. Yeah. It, it hasn't... Disregard on uh I don't know, give him a title shot or something. Who cares?
1: Uh yeah, if I don't know if they wanna just put Glover straight back in there, they wanna do the Jan Blachowicz thing. Uh may, maybe they'll just put Ankle straight in for the title shot, but if they don't then he, he's, I mean he's gotta fight Rakic at some point.
0: It's weird how many of the top guys at two or five haven't actually fought each other yet. Like Uncle Live hasn't fought that many of the people.
1: It's um, still in a bit of a transitional phase where there's some sorting to do at the top. But, you know, we'll be talking about that later.
0: And the champion only has like three fights in the UFC.
1: Quick hits from the prelims. Uh, anything you liked. I mean, Alex Morono counter-punched up Matthew Samelsberger. Matthew Samelsberger doesn't have very good defense. And Alex Morono is just like uh, pretty crafty positionally, even though his mechanics are wacky as fuck.
0: Yeah, Morono doesn't have the upper body strength to keep his hands in a guard, but his feet are pretty smart most of the time. He he knows where he should be in the fight. And Sempelsberger kept just putting himself in bad positions over and over. Like Morono, he he gave Sempelsberger all the rope he needed to hang himself, and then proceeded to like just lightly tie him up and kind of punch him like a piñata every once in a while. Uh, Drew Dober, fucking obliterated Rafael Alves.
1: Yeah, this fight was fucking sick. Muscles. If you give Drew Dober
0: someone that is more athletic but less skilled than him, he's going to beat their shit in once he gets the adjustment. Like it happened in the Alexander Hernandez fight as well, uh, the Terrence McKinney fight. Like anyone that is very athletic but worse, he will beat the shit out of.
1: But whereas the Benil Dariushes and the uh, Olivier Open merciers of the world
0: and, and Brad Riddell's and Islam Makashev's.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, just, Drew Dober did a really good job uh, in this fight of just like just letting Alves wear, wear himself out. Um, <laughs> I mean, there were shots of Alves warming up in the back, doing backflips before he even did his walkout.
0: Genuinely, the dumbest thing I've ever seen in a leaderfield fight. I think he does that normally, but it is so labor intensive to just do a raw backflip. And then he gassed in the second round really hard. And Joe was hitting the body and like cutting him off and making him panic. But that shouldn't be enough to make you gas. And it probably wouldn't have been if he didn't do four backflips before the fight.
1: Well, it's not just the backflips. It's just that everything he does is just like huge explosive. Like, uh, even his defense, like when when he started getting pushed back, he was relying on just like staying on the fence. And whenever Drew Doba got into exchanges with him, he would either just do like just do like a bunch of crazy head movement or just stand his ground and just throw like two or three of the biggest, most powerful Tiago Santos hooks that he possibly could. And to be fair, at one point connected with one that probably should have just knocked Drew Dober out if Drew Doba was a normal person. Because you could just caught him clean while Drew Dober was in the middle of his own hook. And, like, Dover didn't seem to notice and just uh, got back to work and just just uh, keeping Alves on the cage, just, like, letting him fucking the athlete himself out by just just overdoing literally everything and uh, hitting the body until he got a stoppage from that.
0: Yeah, I appreciated how Dover won without doing, like, anything clever sneaky. It was just, I'm going to walk forward and throw, like, I'm going to faint and then throw a left hook to the body and just keep doing that over and over and it wore him down so badly. Just a, like a very consistent and smart thing to be going for. It wasn't flashy or anything.
1: Uh, on on the subject of uh, Drew Dover beating people who are more athletic, but worse than him and will try to wrestle him, uh, he needs to fight Mark Giacasey and uh, knock Mark Giacasey out for turning into a cowardly lay-and-pray wrestler in his last two fights.
0: That's fair. I agree.
1: Crazy that they haven't fought by now, now that I think about it seems like just a, a, a matchup. You make it lightweight and put on a fight night main card because it's guaranteed action.
0: Yeah, I'd also like to see something weird like Dober versus Ignacio Bahamondes.
1: Oh, that would be weird.
0: Yeah, I just kind of don't know what would happen. I mean, I would guess Drew Dober would win, but I I don't know that, you know. Maybe he'll get freaked out by the length. Who knows? Um, Jocelyn Edwards won a decision over Gian Kim that was not anything special, really. Uh, but it's worth noting because Jocelyn Edwards teeps the knee, and that's all you have to do to gain my fondness. Yep, does it so much.
1: Michael Morales got another funny knockout.
0: Yeah, he knocked the guy out while not on the floor, as usual.
1: Yeah, uh, most of the things. Yeah, most of the things he does, he does not on the floor. Uh, like everything's. He just like leaps into, or if he's like moving back defensively, he'll just leap backwards and then get hit mid air and just be fine. Um, and he'll even seem to just like kind of jump in the air and then like pivot mid and take a take a new angle, like from jumping. Like I'm not. Like He seems to control like a video game character from the late 2000s or something. It's pretty wacky the way he moves and his feet are almost never touching the ground when he lands punches, but he just hits really fucking hard.
0: Yeah, it's physically impossible to pivot while in the air, but he does it. Nah. Nikola Nagamarianu. It was actually a, a nice finish. Uh, the first round, not really worth watching, but the second round, just kind of hunted his opponent down the entire round with decent shot selection. It was really sloppy, but the, the ideas were there. And it was just a nice attrition finish. You just pour it on, you'll eventually get the finish. That was pretty much everything interesting that happened on the card.
1: Yeah, uh, Blood Diamond versus Orion Koshi wasn't a good fight, but there was a really silly sequence towards the end of the second round that's worth watching, where Blood Diamond did the, like, left hook into spin through in, into a spinning back fist as Kochi was I think also going for his own spinning back fist and um he kind of hurt Kochi with the with the back fist but also his balance was so bad that it sent him flying off in the opposite direction at like the same trajectory and they were just like stumbling away from each other and it, it was it was just it was a really silly thing to watch. Um, he kind of had some ideas about, like, uh, putting some shot selection together and seemed to have his man in trouble at a couple of points, but uh, just, like, doesn't have the mechanics or balance to back up all of the cool cake punch combinations that he's trying to do and just ends up getting out-wrestled. So I, I, I don't know if uh, Blood Diamond's going to be a thing. Also, he needs to change his nickname because it's fucking stupid, but with not even going to get into that. This card was okay, main card was pretty entertaining mostly, and uh Dober versus Alves was a banger as it was- always was going to be
0: yeah, the card was held up by um uh, the co main event and then a couple neat finishes, but overall, we've been on a streak of like badly turning out events,
1: yeah and not not even uh not even badly booked cards sometimes yeah, it's just the nature happen.
0: like. And also, it tends to tends to be like kind of ruts that you will get in, where it's just been like several bad events in a row, even when they're well booked ones.
1: Well, or, or you know, a few weeks ago we had a, you know a pretty good event, just with a really anticlimactic main event, followed by a terrible event with a really anticlimactic main event.
0: Yeah, just not a not a, not a great momentum. But I'm sure this next card is going to be pretty good.
1: Yeah, so uh, there's anything that's going to save us. It's uh, this Tiago Santos versus Jamal Hill card that we're... Well, we're going to talk about a couple fights, but not that many of them. Because uh, yeah, this card's not very good. Uh, main event, Tiago Santos versus Jamal Hill, of course. Um, so... I think the feeling coming into this for most people is that Jamal Hill is going to instantly dust Tiago Santos. Cause he can like pressure and like aggressively counterpunch off of the front foot. And he's just he's just young and he hits hard and he seems to have a decent idea of what he's doing. I think Jamal Hill's okay. Um well I would like to remind everyone of just like the weird kind of trajectory of Thiago Santos' last few fights since he came back from his surgery, in which he's had his most success in fights against the actually higher level of competition that he's fought and the people who will actually bring fights to him. He had absolutely dreadful fights with Alexander Rakic and Johnny Walker because uh, Tiago Santos just, like, doesn't lead anymore. That's kind of just his way of maintaining himself at this later stage of his career. Um, and he'll try to just, like, ignore feints at range and then just counterpunch whenever people actually step in on him. And, you know, this is why, you know, Johnny Walker, who who is not good, and Alexander Rakic, who is, like, a promising but has a lot of issues we were able to have these just like awful 50-50 fights with him where nothing happened, whereas, you know, recent champion Glover Tashira and likely future title contender Magomed Ankulayev, uh beat Tiago Santos but got dropped by him because they actually like will create exchanges, <laughs> particularly Glover Tashira. Um So I think there's like a chance that Jamal Hill at least gets hurt in this fight. I don't know if it's just going to be just like an instant slaughter. That being said, Tiago Santos did um did just get like pressured into the cage and then knocked the fuck out by David Branch back in middleweight. So like that also can just like happen. So you you got to pick Jamal Hill probably like by knockout. But um I don't know, just Ti- Thiago's still just so dangerous.
0: Yeah, I, I think that Jamal Hill is going to pretty much completely shut Tiago out. He seems very smart and just confident, so I think he's he's not going to get too overzealous and push his luck. I think he's going to probably kick the I mean, arms. He still got
1: hurt in the exchange where he knocked out Johnny
0: Walker. Yeah, but Johnny Walker also got an awful fight out of Tiago Santos just by being long
1: because he didn't do anything and the, and, and Jamal and Hill actually
0: was, went up and knocked him out.
1: Yeah, and I'm saying that could that like if anything's actually gonna get him into trouble against Tiago Santos, it's doing that.
0: I don't think he's gonna try and do that though. No. I think he's just gonna like keep Tiago far away and then if they clinch up, like I've seen Tiago in the clinch, like we just watched the Manoa fight. He's not like developed in the clinch. He just has a couple things, whereas Jamal Hill is actually Pretty dangerous with knees, and and he's good at hitting people as they leave the clinch. He's really tall. He uses range well. He has better defense than most people. Tiago's ever done anything against. Uh, Tiago tends to hurt people whenever they're overextending really heavily, or just make like a flat out awful tactical error. And then even then, he's not a good finisher. He's just good at knocking people out. So I think Jamal Hill, if he does get hurt, is going to be able to weather the storm and then, like, can go back to shutting him out. But I don't think it's going to be a competitive throughout fight. I think Jamal Hill is going to take away most of Santos' weapons and finish him in the middle rounds.
1: Okay, and then in the co-main event, uh, Vicente Luke's fighting Jeff Neal. I feel like this fight has been made like two years too late. I don't know. There was a point where this, where these two guys were like the new hotness at welterweight, and we were really excited about the, what the future was holding for these guys. And Vicente Luke, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to accept that he's still just you know, a fun action fighter with some limitations, and is going to be a tough gatekeeper and, and always just extremely dangerous but uh, the Bilal Mohammed fight was somewhat frustrating from him Uh, whereas Jeff Neal is just like just like one of the biggest like prospect busts I can think of in the last couple of years of someone who like tons of people thought was just going to be an almost instant title contender and he just hasn't Really put it together or develop much at all in the last couple of years, and uh, himself has had a few extremely frustrating performances where you can, where you're just screaming at him to just like expand on his tool set a little bit to make these matchups just way more winnable for himself. So, this matchup is kind of weird because, on the one hand, uh, is there any real reason to expect Jeff Neal to be able to deal with just like a concerted? pressure threat who's gonna like like put him against the cage and low kick him and throw hooks would be a lot be a lot more convinced of that if like uh, Vicente Luke hadn't looked so unsure um in his last fight of someone just kind of like mostly being southpaw and doing a good bit of lateral movement and like kicking and you, you know Vicente Luke not a defensive savant. Totally the kind of guy who could still just fall for Jeff Neal's like one trick, where he does a uh, does a left straight and then he does a left high kick. Now he just knocked out Mike Perry because Mike Perry was like, "Oh yeah, I'm learning defense now. Like, I'll, I'll I'll slip the left hand and just immediately slipped into the left high kick, got finished for the first time." So I mean, you know, uh, uh, Vicente, look, I'm still not picking him to get finished until I see it. And I think I'm going to pick him to win this fight probably by knockout. But I just, uh, I don't know what to expect from him. I need to see another fight after that Muhammad performance.
0: I'm upset that I'm saying this, but I think it's not going to be a particularly good fight. Jeff Neal's last performance being really stale soured me on him a lot. And the fact that Luke couldn't really Figure out how to get around Bilal Muhammad just being a little mobile makes me think that Jeff Neal being less mobile but kind of better when he is on his, his good shit being mobile. Uh, I, I think he's going to outmaneuver Luke and make Luke look not great, but I think Luke is also going to probably hurt uh, Neal's legs a lot. And he'll probably get in some good power shots that put off Neal and then make Neal run away even more.
1: If Neil just ever kicked the legs or body, I'd be more convinced of that. He just yeah, he, he just
0: doesn't have things to like win the rounds if he's not hurting someone with that. And he isn't as insistent about punching people or like really putting his power on people since the Camacho fight.
1: Yeah, and he doesn't like throw away the left high kick as an attritional thing to, to hit the arms like we were talking about earlier. He, he just wants to set it up as a kill move off of his left hand. And like, I just still can't pick that to work against Vicente Luke I, mean, I don't know, it might. And uh, yeah, those are the two most interesting fights on the card. Muhammad Usman is making his debut. He's not good.
0: Yeah, the the Ultimate Fighter fights we're not going to mention because neither of us have watched the Ultimate Fighter season yet. Uh, we are ashamed to admit
1: you can't fucking pay me to watch The Ultimate Fire.
0: Yeah, but uh, other fights that are, I think are worth noting, Ariana Lipski versus Priscilla Cachoeira, that should be neat.
1: Yeah, that should be fun.
0: They're both pretty athletic. I think I'm going to pick Lipski by submission.
1: Really? I, was, I Well, okay, I'm going to pick uh, Cachoeira by knockout then.
0: That's fair. Then... Uh, o. J. Trick versus Sam Alvey. How is Sam that's Alvey funny. still in
1: the UFC? I, don't know, I mean, Alex going to—I mean, you know—knock
0: if... him out horribly. Yeah, I mean, if you want
1: to, you, you, you want to finish. I can't see any way that fight goes other than Alex Ajik by knockout. Yeah, O. J.
0: Trick's thing is normally being the small light heavyweight that's beating up bigger guys, and now he's fighting someone as big as him or smaller. So it's probably just going to be him bullying Sam Alvey and then knocking him out viciously against the cage. But maybe Alvey will land his patented right hook.
1: It's been a minute.
0: Yeah, I think he's on like a 10 fight losing streak or or losing streak with a draw somewhere in there.
1: Eight, Maybe at this point, I think. Uh, Terrence McKinney's fighting someone who I expect him to finish in the first round. Which fair enough, give the young prospect a bounce back. But the point of Terence McKinney fights is like, uh, can the guy not get killed in the first round and then kill Terence McKenny? Um, but you know, you know, Eric Gonzalez,
0: he got murdered by Jim Miller.
1: Yeah, absolutely, just like soul taken away by Jim Miller. You know, and Jim Miller's, you know, he's crafty. He's Jim Miller, but Terence McKenny's just like. She's just so fucking dangerous in that first round. Yeah, Brian Battle's fighting Takashi Sato. Brian Battle's okay. Uh, I like him at Welterweight. That's fine. Uh, Myra Silva is fine. She's cool.
0: Yeah, it's not bad at all. It's okay. There's, this, there's some stuff. This is a decent card that has a lot of potential to be much better to watch than it is in theory, which is good. Because the last several cards have just been not great in practice with like a few fights that are accepted.
1: Well that's everything we're going to talk about for this week. Uh, as always if you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff the fight side puts out, uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. For Pledge of just $3 gains access to a huge library of really high quality analytical fight content. Uh, we just recorded an alternate commentary for a classic light heavyweight banger Tiago Santos versus Jimmy Manoa. Uh, Should be up shortly following the release of this podcast. Should be catching uh, regular extra bonus content from us there. Um, If you have any questions for topics that you uh, want us to cover on those bonus episodes, then uh, come join the Discord, uh, which uh, just a pledge of $5 uh, gains access to. As well as that, we have a great community interesting fight friends from a ton of different backgrounds. You can talk to staff and ask us questions and give us shit about our stupid picks. Uh, it's always good fun. You come hang out, support the fight site. This has been the forbidden technique podcast. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week where we will be recapping anything cool that happens from the card we just talked about, as well as a genuinely fascinating main event in the bantamweight division. Between Marlon Chito Vera and Dominic Cruz. And that card also has some stuff on it. So I uh, will see you then. Peace out. Later.